Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel, verses 1 through 17. We are in the thick of a series on the stories of David, how messy life is. Life was messy for him, life is messy for us, and God still meets us in it. So I am going to lead us in prayer that God's Spirit would take these words, this word of Scripture, this witness of God's people and our words together are mine, and that God will speak. Let's pray. Spirit of God, come. Make these words alive for us, to us, in us. For we pray it in the strong name of your word, your word made flesh in Jesus Christ. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Listen to God's word to you. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings, but I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. So this is a glorious time for David. Everything is working for him. Uh, everything that's been happening around him just seems to be coming together. 
The Philistines, that perennial, that forever enemy, has now been defeated. The giant Goliath is dead. The previous and the first king, King Saul, who was after David and wanted to kill him, and David was fleeing. He was a fugitive for years and years and years. Now King Saul is dead. David is definitely the king. And so there are no more rivals to the throne. His popularity rating is as high as ever. He has consolidated the nation. He has established a new capital in Jerusalem. He brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, basically to declare that it's all about God's rule, not his. David was doing everything right. He had this wonderful combination of major accomplishments, but also this great humility before God. He was doing what he was doing for the right reasons. It reminds me a lot of Madison Bumgarner, just that mood, just this amazing peak time in his life. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Madison Bumgarner, he's had three World Series wins. He's 24 years old, pitched three of the seven games. Basically, most of the people would say that he's the one that pulled it out and the Giants won. He's just at the top of his game. But the cool thing about Madison Bumgarner is that he has this wonderful combination of accomplishment and also humility. He doesn't come across all full of himself. Seems to be doing it because of a love of the game and because he loves what he does. And he's willing to do whatever the managers, whatever anybody else is telling him to do. David was at his prime, truly in his prime. And he looks around and he's realizing, my gosh, I was sleeping out in the wilderness. I was sleeping in caves. I was sleeping in bushes. For years and years, I was in the wilderness. And now here I am in this palace. I am in this palace made of cedar. And yet the ark of God is in a tent. This just doesn't seem right. So he turns to Nathan, the prophet, the mouthpiece of God, and he says, you know, I think I'm going to build God a house of cedar. And Nathan basically says, obviously God is with you. You do whatever you think is right. But in the words of the great theologian Woody Allen, (laughs) if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. So that night, Nathan goes to bed, the prophet, And in that time when the unconscious takes over and we're not really managing our thoughts and what we feel and think, that time when God seems to be able to rise up and get our attention, God tells Nathan to tell David, you're going to build me a house? You're going to be the subject of this work that's going on? And then you see that God flips it around. And there are 23 verbs in this passage, and they are flipped around, God becomes the subject. And God reviews past and then goes into the future. I have built you up out of being this forgotten shepherd out with sheep. You have now become king over Israel. This is my doing, and this is what I'm going to do. Goes into the future. And we're not quite sure, as you read this passage, and you hear about the fact that I'm going to do something through your offspring, you will, there will be a house that would be built. It's like, okay, is this passage talking about Solomon, 
who's the next king, David's son, who is extremely wealthy and also builds this incredible temple for God, the famous temple. Is that what this passage is talking about? Yes and no. God has something far more profound, far more enduring. That temple is not around anymore. It's gone. God has something far more enduring in mind. It's not so much about a building. It's about a people. Listen again to these words out of our passage. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. I will not take my steadfast love from him. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. You will not build me a house of cedar, but I am going to build a house in you, my covenant people, and it will be a place where you embody my love, the love of an Abba for the Son, the love that is best described as steadfast love, chesed. So where does this story go? Story doesn't stop here, does it? That's why we love the story of David. Where does this story go? Well, think about the angel talking to Mary. We look in Luke, first chapter, and the angel Gabriel says to her, And now, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God's building a house through David's offspring, and what's it looking like? It's actually being born in a woman, in a body, in Jesus. Get into John 1. The Word of God became flesh and tabernacled among us. God moving into us. Then you get into Matthew 1. Begins this way. This is an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And this son of David in the first chapter of Mark is standing not in his synagogue, not in the house of God, standing outside and saying to the people, the good news has come near. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Moving into us, not staying in a house. God building a house that is a people who will know God's love, God's steadfast love, and embody that love. We try to flip it and try to put God into a habitation, into a location, into a certain part of our lives. God flips it around, puts that mirror up like Ray just did. No, God wants to embody you. A people to know God's love and to demonstrate that love. Do you remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples? There's a story, and he's up there with his closest three, Peter, James, and John, and all of a sudden he's glorified in front of them. And what does Peter say? Because they're stand, he's there with Moses and Elijah, and it's this amazing vision. And Peter says, Whoa, let's build a house for you three. And all of a sudden, this cloud comes down on Peter and his grand schemes to build a house. 
and knocks him to their knees and says, no, this is my son. Listen to him. He's got something different in mind. The cool thing about David, when Nathan tells him this whole flipped, you're not going to build God a house, God's building you a house, David did listen. He did listen, and he did pray. I will build a house in you, my people. We try to flip it around, but as Paul said to the Corinthians, Paul who knew the Jewish people that wanted to make God in a temple, God in the ark, God behind the Holy of Holies. No. What's he say in 1 Corinthians 6? Do you not know that you are a temple of God's Holy Spirit? Therefore, glorify God in your body. That wasn't the end of the story. The story continues. Even after the time of Scripture, the story continues in us here at Trinity Presbyterian Church. Next year, this church turns 60. This church is a boomer. Turns 60, and for most of our 60 years, there were many times that we were building a house for God because we were in the Legion of Honor. We didn't have a place to meet. So we bought this property and built the downstairs. Fellowship Hall was the sanctuary. And then in the 60s and later, built this sanctuary up here. And then, not that long ago, because we didn't have an elevator, people couldn't get around, there wasn't accessibility, there wasn't a clear entrance and a welcome, we raised money, a lot of money. The last time that we asked you to make pledges and put down what you were going to give to this church was like 2005, and you were generous, and we improved this house. But it's never been about this house, has it? This church has always been about embodying God's love in us, knowing and embodying God's love to the world. Yesterday, we had a memorial service for Jerry Milan. Many of you knew Jerry. He was a major fix-it guy. He loved fixing this house. He was just awesome. And he went down to Mexico to be in charge of the building sites on our Youth Mexico mission trip. And in that experience, he had his own personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And it changed his life. And he became that mirror he became that person who now was knowing and embodying the love of God, becoming the house that God called us and intended us to be. I think it's actually easier to build a house than to let ourselves be the house. Right now, you know, this church has actually invited people who are part of it to do pledges again. It's the first time we've done this asked you actually to write down what it is that you are going to commit to the work of this ministry, but it's not to the building. It's to the work that God is doing in us, building in us an intimate experience of knowing Jesus Christ and demonstrating his love to the community. I was just downstairs before the service, and I want you to see a picture of who was down there in the kitchen making sandwiches for what we call sandwiches on Sundays to feed those who are hungry at the Pharaoh's Community Center. There are Hope House women in there serving. 
There are high school students in there. There are scouts, Girl Scouts. There are members of our church, all generations. What we are giving to now as we make pledges is this work that Jesus Christ is trying to do intergenerationally, doing youth ministry, connecting to one another, being that presence of God's love in the world. That previous slide, many of you have seen this um, little thing we used to do when we were kids. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. You see all the people. Where is God's house? That's right. It's in the people. It's in the people. God is building something here at Trinity, and he's building something in us so that we know, we know the love that God has for all people. And we know that Abba, Son, intimacy that Jesus had with God, and we are living that, demonstrating that in our neighborhood. So why in the world do I have a tent behind me? What's up with the tent? There is a great partner ministry that we have participated in just a little bit called Home and Hope. And now we have decided because we have a renovated kitchen, because God has given us this building, it's not because God's in the house, but God wants to use this to demonstrate God's love in this neighborhood. So Home and Hope houses families who are homeless in churches and synagogues that offer their space for a week. So we're doing that. December 28th to January 4th. Never done it before. So I want Gina Cooper. We've invited her special guest today. She works for Home and Hope, but she's also benefited from Home and Hope. So Gina, come on up and tell your story. We're so glad you're here. Thank you, Mary. Um, my name is Gina Cooper. I am a program assistant for Home and Hope, but I was also a client in 2012. Um, so I'm going to tell my story to kind of give you the logistics of what the program has done for myself and my son. Um, in 2012, my son and I were living with my mom, and uh, I worked for Goodwill, and my mom would watch my son, and we had such a happy home. Um, every payday, I would give my mom roses uh, and give her a little rent money. You know, it, it was, it was uh, something my mom always said, I, I don't want roses when I'm gone. So I, I'm so glad I adhered to that, and you'll see why. Um, my mom was uh, cooking Thanksgiving dinner last year. So this time of year, kind of, I mean, sorry, 2011, she was cooking Thanksgiving dinner and complaining of side pain, and we had taken you know, her to the doctors, and we'd done all the right things, CAT scans and whatnot. Um, and in March 12th, she went in for a biopsy, and she was diagnosed with cancer. That's March 12th of 2012, and on March 21st, 2012, my mom passed away, just nine days later. Um, I remember thinking what just happened you know, this, this happy home, um, this, this security. Um, and what had happened is I was not, you know, my income singled, and I was unable to keep up with the bills. Um, the house was not paid for. 
So um, being unable to do that, eventually my son and I were staying, you know, uh, at motels, and um, eventually we started couch surfing. Um, it was very difficult couch surfing, and I'll tell you, it's, it's, you're not in your own home. You're constantly trying to please people because you feel so uncomfortable. Uh, mind you, I'm grieving, and um, sometimes it's hard to go back because the life has changed, but I'm constantly reminded when I stand up here of what Home and Hope has done for my son and I. Um, so we had looked for places to uh, get into, different shelter networks and things like that, and a lot of them are not geared for a 12-year-old and a mom. They're mostly geared for babies, two years and under, pregnant moms, and nothing wrong with that. Um, but in my case, it was difficult. Um, I had stayed at a friend's house for quite some time, and I was desperate. You know, I just felt uncomfortable. You know, she'd opened up her home, but it was temporary. Um, her kids were off to college, and they were coming back. So in September, I finally got a referral into Home and Hope, and... Um, that was September 16th, I remember, because it was my dad's birthday, and I thought, this is the gift. Uh, the case manager had, the program manager had explained that we would be staying in tents, and this is exactly what I pictured, and I'm like, what's going on? We're going to be staying in churches, you, you know, change churches every week, and, you know, you have to be here, you know, you leave the church at 6 a.m., and you come back at 6 p.m., and I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? This is kind of strange, you know. Um, picturing it, you know, I'm like, what are we, you know, but I was desperate, and I was willing. Um, and I was, I was at my wit's end. Um, I entered the program, you know, broken, afraid. Um, I was greeted by humble and uh, warm greets from all the volunteers. Uh, we had warm cooked meals. Uh, and when we got there, it was a large tent. It looks nothing like this. And uh, it has our name on it and two cots. And I remember Dante's like, oh, it's like camping. And he really didn't, you know, it, it was something about the weight just lifted, you know. Um, so our first night, you know, I wrote a poem. And I'm going to end with that. Um, it was over, I think we were at... Oh, I can't remember what church, but um, it was it was just it was so heartwarming to see people caring for us, and um, I'll never ever forget what Home and Hope has done for me. I needed that five months. I was there for five months. I saved money like crazy. Uh, I sat across from the case management. She filled out so many paperwork for me to get into low-income housings and. You know, I was so frazzled I couldn't fill out a form. I, I mean, I can't imagine that now because it's, I'm not there, but I was that broken. I mean, everything was too much. Um, and the case management just, you know, it's going to be okay. I heard that a lot. This is a good program. It's going to be okay. You know, and it was said enough, I think, that I believed it myself. Um, you know, we stayed at another church uh, in Burlingame, and... One of the volunteers saw the interest that my son had in origami, and um, I used to get in. I was the late one. I got in at 9 o'clock at night, and we walk in, and we go to the tent, and on his cot was 
a box of origami paper, just every color you can think of, um, the origami book, and he still has that to this day. And the book he does his homework on, it's really funny, it's kind of symbolic. Um, but he's, uh, you know, he's a normal kid now, if that's, you know, if you're able to do that at 14 years old, right? <laughs> he's, he's a 14-year-old, um, but he's, you know, he, his life was reduced to homelessness in a, in a, in a minute. It was our little secret. Um, I used to not be able to get through this without crying, you know, it's, and, it, and it'll probably come up, you know, but I'm telling you, um, my son, I felt so responsible for his pain, you know, I felt so responsible, and that frazzled and, and got to me as well. It, it was just, um, I can't even explain it, you know, but we got through it, and after five months of saving money, I did find a room to rent. And we moved into a room, and um, we, we were able to pay rent. And within a, you know, I was making 960 an hour. Um, at 960 an hour, believe it or not, you're, you're not eligible for much help. Um, so anyway, so we, we, uh, we got a room to rent, and I uh, went and applied for a job, and uh, I went in, took the interview, and doubled my income. And my hours became Monday through Friday, 8 to 3.30, and baseball was possible. Baseball was possible, and, uh, and, and I'll never forget sitting in the stands thinking of, well, you know, I've been on CSM, on the campus at CSM, thinking, wow, a lot of people just, they just don't know what it took to get here. I've cried in certain places because it's like, you know, and I think of my mom, and we were talking about the Giants, and I'll tell you, I walked in uh, late at night, another night at the uh, church in Burlingame, and there was a gentleman there listening to the, to the Giants on the AM radio, and he had given up his time to be with us and spend the night. And I sat down with that man, and I listened to the last pitch, and we won the World Series. And this year when they won, it meant something. It, it was, I'll never forget that last pitch sitting at that table with that man. Um, this program's amazing. It's, you know, the center, the day center, we you take showers, you can do your laundry, you can look for a job. There's uh, computers there for adults and for kids. And I give them a USB chip, you know, when they're 15 and older to bring their homework back and they can get on the computers and do it. Um, it's more the people at the churches, though. I look forward to 6, you know, 6 p.m., you know, because you're going to find somebody. And I grieved with a lady that just lost her mom. And I started to grieve and I started to heal. Um, our mission at Home and Hope is to provide a safe haven for homeless families, and they did just that for me. Um, so I'm going to read my poem. I probably left a lot of good stuff out, but um, we're on a time thing here. So the poem on my second day at Home and Hope, this is what I saw and this is what I felt, and that's why I was inspired. So it goes like this. We come in all shapes and sizes, leaving behind our homes on a path of hope to find new ones. We have not lost. We have only gained the attention of our fellow man to extend a hand of kindness. Most of us are overwhelmed by your generosity, a gesture which grooms our garden, the garden of hope. I hope for our future, a foundation to pass on for generations, the gift of one human being helping another. And that is it. Um, so I hope I find out. I've just found that you guys are going to be hosting, and I think that's great. And you're going to find some people that want or need, and sometimes they're going to want to just go to their tent because it's so painful.
Um, but I, I am a living witness that this program, five months, I, I live in San Carlos. Uh, my son and I have rooms bigger than the ones we shared. Um, he's on the football team at Sequoia. Um, you know, I, I get to be snack mom now. That's, you know, what am I going to get for snack? That's my worries. You know, um, it's, you know, oh, my God, how am I going to pick up Dante and do this? You know, um, it's, it's been a blessing. And um, so I'm really happy that you've taken us on. Um, I appreciate it. And you, some of you may see me early in the morning. I pick people up at 6.30 a.m. And who better to know how they feel than me? So thank you. Thank you for having me. I wonder if we realize that when God was saying to David, I'll build you a house, that God was really thinking of us being the embodiment of God's amazing steadfast love and demonstrating that love, living it out the way Jesus did and the way Gina just described. That is our calling. It is our calling. It's why we're doing what we do. It's why we're asking you for pledges. Because you are calling a pastor who's going to help you do that. We're all called to help one another be that, the house of God. So I invite you, just like David did, open yourself up, listen, let God come in. Think about one of the nights during that week. I am. Maybe your family. This is something all ages can do. Maybe your small group, maybe your scouts, somebody can sign up for one of those nights. Come on downstairs. We're having an orientation on November 19th to know how to host the poor, which does take some orientation. So let us be open. Let us be that house that God created us to be, an embodiment of the love of Jesus in this world. Would the ushers please come forward?